Good morning, everyone. We will be continuing on in the sermon series on in the book of Acts, and today we'll be in chapter 3. So as the place get past you, if you want to pick up a Bible in front of you to follow along, uh, Acts 3 starts on page 1092. I was slightly convicted in worship of just... Uh, Sometimes I show up to church uh, week after week and it becomes sort of ho-hum and normal. And I don't uh, bring a sense of the awe and wonder that was in the lines of the worship that we sing together. And uh, I think it's normal for everybody to experience that, you know, fall into that rut. Um, I think it's interesting that he convicted me of that today because in the passage that we're going to be going through in Acts 3, there's a lot of people that were just doing what they did every day. It was totally normal for them. And then the power of the Lord showed up and changed the scene. And I feel like for some of us, maybe most of us, maybe even all of us, I think that's what he wants to do today for us, for his power to show up. And something we're used to doing every Sunday morning gathering together, I think he has um, just an extra bit of himself to give to us this morning. With that being said, we will jump into the passage and and just kind of, we're just going to take it verse by verse mostly and see see how it goes. So, oh yeah, by the way, I changed the name of the sermon last night. So, in your notes, it probably says something like the God of miracles. If you're someone who keeps notes, I'm not trying to offend you, or the rapture didn't happen and you got left behind and now the titles are different. I just changed it last night. Sorry, Cindy. (laughs) So, it's actually more accurate for the sermon content today is in Jesus name get up and walk all right let's hop in Acts 3 verse 1 one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. He was put there every day. This man was a Jew, but he got carried to the temple gate and had to stay there. Why? Because he was lame. In the Old Testament, If you were a person with some sort of birth defect, you weren't allowed into the tabernacle to go worship. Somebody with lame feet, uh, somebody with a disfigured face. So this man, as a Jew, no fault of his own, born lame, couldn't go in to worship with his people that he because of his 
nationality because of being part of God's promised people had a right to go worship the only true God. He had to sit outside and beg his entire life, not because he did anything wrong, just because he got born lame. And so every day he goes and he watches people pass by and he asks for some spare change while his same people get to go in and worship. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Actually, there's two things in other translations. It's actually get up and walk. You'll find that as we continue in Acts, Acts was written by Luke. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry after he's ascended. And Luke, you'll find as we continue, he has this like a, a um, way that he writes. He sort of says A, B, C, and then he comes back A, B, C. So if there's a command get up and walk, we will find that that's what happens. If there's a prayer, Lord, move this way and this way and this way, then usually a few verses later, Luke writes, the Lord answered this and this and this. He's a doctor. It's very one-to-one. We've got to put it out there and we've got to answer that, you know? You'll find that that happens. So here, Peter says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Seven, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And here we get, he jumped to his feet. So he got up and began to walk. He walked. It got answered. I know it's not mind-blowing, but just keep it in mind as we continue through the book of Acts. Then he went with them for the first time in his life. He's over 40 years old. For the first time in his life, he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I actually can't like fully conceive of that. I imagine if I was to show up to Lakeview every Sunday and like I got to go in to the lobby area and greet people and then it was time to start worship and I had to sit right outside of those doors. And everybody got to come in here, how great that walk, you know. And I'm right outside those doors. And the first time I get healed, I get to walk in, woohoo! Can you believe it? You know, and there's seven of us in here clapping, you know, maybe 12. <laughs> and somebody comes running through, yeah! Are you serious? And everybody recognizes him. Let's keep going. When all the people saw him, they all recognized him walking and praising God. 
They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. Why? Because they all passed him every day for 40 years. Now he's inside. He doesn't belong in here, and he doesn't belong walking. What is happening? They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, or you might have Solomon's Portico. I felt like in preparing today that there's some of us that are going to be asked to get up in some way. And if you're this guy that's been down on the ground for 40 years, for 40 years your feet are lame, you can't walk, and you're asking for change, and somebody comes by and says, I'm not going to give you any money, get up. I don't know that I would have the faith to get up. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Are you, are you dumb? I've been sitting here for 40 years. Get up? Can you, I mean, can you imagine? And what is, it, what is it like for Peter to walk by him and go, oh yeah, I passed you every day, passed you while Jesus was here, uh, get up. That's a big ask. But what does he do? He gets up. I think sometimes we can have a lot of excuses on why we shouldn't be able to get up, but I can't think of a better one than somebody who's been lame since birth, has never known anything else, knows he can't walk, has begged for 40 years, and when he's told to get up, he jumps up. I'm convicted by that. There's a lot of reasons we could have to be beggars, but this guy wasn't stuck by his reasons to be a beggar. He jumped up. And then, as everybody's attention. So in verse 12, when Peter saw this, that everyone was coming around, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? This is what I love about this verse. Peter is an apostle. He's like maybe arguably the apostle. He's the one that gives the most sermons right there at the front end of Acts. And when this amazing sign happens, uh, he doesn't come in and is like, uh, hey everyone, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Peter, the apostle. Uh, if, uh, if you're wondering why this amazing act has been performed at my hands, I will uh, give you my credentials. I've been with Jesus. I've known him longer. And he doesn't even explain himself. Immediately he turns the conversation to Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And then he puts everybody in the room on trial, and I bet it got really awkward. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. 
Peter's there talking to people that probably, I don't know, maybe 60, maybe 90 days earlier, somewhere in that ballpark, were yelling, crucify him. They're on trial right now, but Peter's sort of reaccounting how they put Jesus on trial. So here's Jesus' trial results. We'll just hold this for a little while. Jesus on trial, he was falsely accused. They said to Pilate, we would like you to put him to death. Pilate tries him, comes back to the Jewish people. The guy's innocent. He's found innocent. They still said, we still want you to put him to death. We'll take the murderer. They had a trade for, I think most of us are familiar with it, but if you're not familiar with it, Pilate said, I have this, uh, we have this agreement that every year we'll release a criminal. And they said, we'll take Barabbas, this murderer, and you kill Jesus. Some people get falsely accused. They're found guilty and they're sentenced to something. I don't know of anybody that's been falsely accused, actually found innocent in the court of law, and then still be sentenced to death. This isn't going well for the people in, like, Solomon's Colonnade, you know? Uh, Anyway, let's hop back to the verses. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. A few things I wanted to note while we were right here, because I feel like this is where the Lord had me pause while I was preparing, and he said, this is where the meat of everything is, is in 16. There's a few things I'd like to point out in verse 16. The first is completely healed him. Completely. It means perfectly sound, without blemish. People who were blemished were not allowed to enter the place to worship God. Now he was found perfectly sound. Also, uh, it means perfectly sound and fit for use. Keep that in mind. Also, the next is faith. Faith just means belief. Belief in what? In the name of Jesus. Okay, so the next is in the name of Jesus. Belief in the name of Jesus. But what does that mean? Like, does that mean just like, God, I really want a Corvette. You know how much I appreciate a Corvette. This is what my son would pray right now because he's convinced at 16 he's going to buy a convertible Corvette. (laughs) In Jesus' name, I have faith that you can answer that. Amen. Uh, I'll just say anything in Jesus' name. Amen. Poof. Ah, there it is. That's not what saying his name, we can't just say it like it's some magical word. Name has meaning. And to the Jewish people, it had this breadth of meaning that was really 
when you say a name, what you mean is everything that that name stands for. Everything that's insinuated by that name. Imagine this for a moment. Let's say my daughter is at school. She's running around on the playground, and she falls down and scrapes her knee bad enough that she needs some attention. And a teacher goes, we're going to get the nurse. The nurse is going to come over. Okay, my daughter's probably somewhat comforted. But what if they're like, hey, your mom showed up. Your mom's here. Your mom's going to come. What do you think she feels? She feels comforted, safe already. She knows mom's going to hold her while they're working on her knee. She, there's all this other stuff that's encompassed. Or what if uh, my son is watching TV and my daughter goes up and goes, it's time to turn off the TV. My son's going to look at his sister and go, I don't care. What are you talking about? Now what if my daughter comes up and goes, Dad said, time to turn off the TV. Boop. There's a lot in the name. The two aspects of Jesus' name, what it encompasses that I want to look at this morning, is the aspect of authority and the aspect of character. I thought it was really funny. I started started pulling, like, who are authority figures I can use? And immediately in my mind, there's this, like, argument against their character. You know, I'm trying to pull, well, what if we use this world leader or this leader of, the, you know, and it's like there's so many accusations against people's character. What about people with character? Sometimes the people with character aren't in positions of authority. Jesus actually happens to have both. He has full authority. By the way, he's the only one with amazing character. I just wanted to do a few verses to sort of broaden our understanding of his authority and character. In Ephesians, Paul writes to the Ephesians, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Oh my goodness, we need that right now, right? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Here it is. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. What's in the name? Rule, authority, power, and dominion. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Not only is he above everything, but throughout time he's going to be above everything. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. There's not a lot of room for 
Like, uh, maybe he's just got this, or I don't know, maybe he doesn't have everything. That's pretty complete. All right. Now, what is it? What does this look like? I mean, uh, I'm reminded of when I was, I think it was 18 or 19, I can't remember, but President George W. Bush was in Janesville coming through. So we went to see President George W. Bush. And we're sitting in this massive conference room, massive conference room, and there's other people who are representatives from the state and, you know, this important person and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they're all talking, and you're like, okay, cool, 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 cool. And then they're like, all right, so the President of the United States, whoo, everybody stands up. The president walks in, and I'm not saying I saw it, but I, this is what I felt. I felt like with him were these angels that were from down here up to the ceiling, and you just felt the authority walk into the room. Because the Lord's given that guy that authority to be the ruler over that nation at that moment. And you can feel it. It, is, it was, in a sense, it was scary like, oh, if I say something bad about this guy, the Lord's got like seven to nine angels that are like as tall as this thing, like just hanging out by him. He's got authority because God gave it to him. It was a scary moment for me. That's just the president. Jesus, is king of kings, lord of lords, presides over presidents. He's a ruler above everything. What would it be like to be in his presence? Ah! That's why John, who laid on his chest while he was still alive, most guys aren't comfortable with that, you know? What if some dude was, and I'm just like, oh, I just love you, man. Like in Wisconsin, we're like, what? You can't do that. Apparently, John could lay his head on Jesus' chest. Then John sees him in Revelation, and sees a new image of Jesus, and he falls at his feet as though he's dead. John's, this is John, like, laying his head on his chest. Then there's John, like, laying down, like, I'm not even worthy to be here. You know, and Jesus, interestingly enough, reaches out his right hand, similar to Peter in the verse, and touches John and says, don't be afraid. Get up. I'm the living one. I've conquered death. What would this look like? To be there where Jesus has authority. We have a picture of it in Revelation. This is going to stay blank because I'm just going to read it. And if you're anything like me and you're trying to read along, I get distracted very easily. So Revelation 4, just listen and imagine, is where we're starting. We're going into 5. 411, it's all the elders. It's 24 elders. There's this, there's this uh, throne room in heaven. 24 elders, these four living creatures that are kind of uncomfortable to describe. And they're all worshiping the one who sits on the throne. And they say to him, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's quite a lot of authority. 
then five. Then I saw, okay, just picture this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, what are you expecting to see? The lion of Judah who's triumphed. John continues, Then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's a lot of authority, but it gets bigger. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This to me isn't a verse that just shows his authority, it's also a verse that shows, or set of verses, that shows his character. And his character is this. Look, see the Lion of Judah, Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. He has all authority. He's over everything. But his character is that he's willing to submit himself even unto death. What leader does that? What leader who has had a place above everything has had the character to serve his father 
and purchase us by his blood. Nobody else has that character. Let's continue back in Acts. Again, this is the people in the temple at, in Solomon's colonnade or portico. Peter is speaking to them. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, our God. This isn't anything new. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You know, servant there doesn't just mean servant or slave. It also means his child. He's saying it's his child and his servant and slave. What a humble place for Jesus to be. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Peter is speaking to the people that murdered Jesus. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is how the trials worked out. Jesus is put on trial. He's falsely accused. He's found innocent, and he's still put to death. The people were rightly accused and found guilty of murder, and they got offered a pardon. It's like the complete inverse of what had happened. They were offered a pardon, Jesus' murderers, on one condition, and there is a condition to repent. What does repent mean? It doesn't just mean say, I'm sorry. It means to change your mind. It means to turn around. Like uh, everyone's pretty familiar with the prodigal son, right? He asked for his inheritance from his father, which meant, I wish you were dead. Please give me the money. He took it. He gambled it away. He spent all of it. He ended up in a very, very low, low place. And then, he, when he met rock bottom, he decided to turn and walk back to his father. That is repentance. The moment, I'm going to turn, and now I'm going to go back this way. And Peter is just telling the people that actually murdered Jesus, that literally some of them in that room had said, crucify him. You can... Have all of your sins wiped away. Turn back to God. That's his character. That's a pretty good deal. Interestingly enough, when we're talking about jumping up, you know, the prodigal son was the one that turned around and started walking, but when the father saw him, the father jumped up and ran towards him. That's his character. So when we are believing in his name, it's believing that he has the authority because he is the author of life 
to actually reach down and grab us wherever we're at that we need to get out of. Tell us to get up and we can actually stand up. There aren't any excuses. He has that authority. Of all the excuses I could come up with for my own disenfranchisement, none of them are as good as being lame since birth, disenfranchised from my people who could walk in and praise. I don't have that good of excuses. Even that guy took his hand and got up, and he was healed. You know why I think that Peter said, what I have I give to you worked was because Peter had faith in Christ's authority and his character. Peter, he's talking to people that disowned the Messiah. Peter himself disowned the Messiah three times. Once to a girl that was like, you know, the girls that are up here singing, Peter was that afraid. Peter totally disowned him. Went back to what he was used to doing every day. He went back to fishing. And then the resurrected Christ stood on the shore and called out to him while he was on a boat fishing with some of the other disciples, John included. Said, you guys catch any fish? They hadn't caught any fish. No, we haven't caught any fish. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. All right? It's kind of interesting. You know, you're out there, you're on a fishing boat, and some guy from shore who you don't recognize goes, oh, throw it on the other side. Thanks, buddy, you know. But no, they obeyed. They threw it on the other side, and all of a sudden, there's so much fish, they can't lift it into the boat. And John goes, it's the Lord. And then Peter throws on his cloak, jumps from the boat. Everybody else rows back, not Peter, man. Jumps from the boat, swims to shore to see the Messiah. And Jesus institutes, what's the right word? He, he puts him back in his place to say, hey, I've got work for you to do, Peter. Are you going to do it? Peter literally disowned him but had the opportunity to jump back and become a co-laborer with him. And so that's why he could look down at this man who probably saw while he was here lame, Jesus passed by him. He was there every day for 40 years. There's no way he didn't see Jesus walk by him. There's no way he didn't hear about Jesus healing the blind man who was blind from birth. And he's probably going, I've been lame from birth. He can heal me too. And then one day, his disciples come by and go, in Jesus' name. And the man goes, you bet. You bet in his name. Grabs and gets up. Actually, jumps up. Sorry, I'm not a very good jumper. I learned that in school. He jumps up. Because he had faith in Jesus' name. In the end, this is what I think is funny. I think he got what he asked for. He didn't get it the way he thought he was going to get it. And I think those of us who need to get up, it's the same for us sometimes. What was he asking for? Some change. 
He wanted money. Was that bad? No, he was a beggar. He needs to pay his bills. He needs to eat. He needs everything that we need. He was unable to do that. So he asked for money. God completely healed him, perfectly sound and fit for use. So what happened the next day? Do you think he like went by the beautiful gate and was like, hey guys, you want to give me some money? What are people going to do? Get a job! Right? I mean, right? He went from a beggar to a co-laborer. Please give me this for free. I don't expect much. I'm perfectly sound. I'm ready to work. What if he didn't get up? Andy can correct me, by the way, if, or Gary or whomever. I think it was like there were 3,000 people, and then after this whole event that occurs that will go into chapter 4, there's 5,000 people. Is that right? What if he didn't get up? 2,000 people wouldn't have come to Jesus. What if you or I don't get up? And we meet the Lamb on Judgment Day. And he's like, I gave you everything you needed to get up. Because I wanted more people to come to me because I purchased them with my blood. I don't want to be, I don't know, I had some excuses and I sat down. I want to say I believed in your authority, that you had the authority over my life, that I could ask in your name because I believed in your character, which left your high place to come down to the low place to bring me back up, and that you had the life to speak into what was wrong with me and could call me up, and your words actually mattered enough that it changed everything, and I got to walk with you and co-labor with you, and I earned some rewards along the way. That's what I think he wants from us. I think there are two responses, at least as I was going through, to be had. And for those, if there is anything that you feel like the Lord has been calling you up, or if there's some point of disenfranchisement or literal physical injury, or it could be mental or emotional or whatever, if there's an excuse from being able to walk in and praise him fully, or to be co-laboring with him. I think he wants us to give wants to give us the opportunity to pray and ask in his name, fully realizing his authority and his character for us. And I think today it might not be amazing, you might not literally jump up from being lame, but I feel like today that we're going to walk out of here and be changed. And he's going to answer. And it might not look like what we asked for. But that doesn't mean he didn't ask for it. Or he didn't answer it, excuse me. The beggar asked for money. He got something entirely different. In the end, he probably got what he asked for. I think the Lord might do the same. And then for those of us who are the leaders... Peter, John, I think there's an excellent precedent set, not just in these passages, but in the Revelation one, 
of laying our crowns down and turning to his authority. And last week, if you were here and the elders were praying, elders are down here praying for people, and I just had this sense in the spirit that the Lord was just truly the authority over this church. I don't know if anybody else felt that last week while it was, that was all happening, while people were getting prayer, but I really felt a strong presence of his authority, and I just want to continue to recognize that. So we're going to sing two songs. My wife will lead us. One is about calling on his name. If you have something to call on his name for, and you're ready to get up and walk, I would encourage you to sing that song. You know what? If Don't even have to sing the lyrics. You can pray while it's happening. You can just agree with it and pray. And we'll believe with you that that thing is going to come to be. And for the, those of us who are leaders, we're going to sing the song from Revelation. And I would encourage all of us who are leaders to, in our hearts, not be doing our ministry by our credentials or the time we've been doing our ministry or the awesome things that have been having, but let's really purpose this church right now. This is his church. Let's just honor him in our hearts. That's it. That's the message. We're going to just jump into a time of worship. I ask you join, and really I just ask you meet the Lord. If that's sitting down and meeting with him, great. If that's standing up and meeting with him, great. But I think he's here and he wants to meet with people. Also, the last group that I didn't really talk about, but if you are in the place today where you have, like Peter and like the people that murdered him, realize that in your heart you've disowned him, those were the people he came to first. I don't think that you are out of reach. You're clearly not. He's clearly turned towards you. I pray you meet with him. With that, Steph, you can lead us. <laughs>